And so the end is near. Our house is surrounded by boxes and bin liners and we're trying not to confuse the contents of the two. But it's good to be here and to be home amongst friends. So thank you for extending your invitation to this, um, our final service here at Central Hall Westminster. As we go through this part of the service, I encourage you both to keep out the notice sheet um, because on it um, is the reading for the day and you can read through that and find the bits for you that are really important to resource you into the coming week. Um, And I also invite you to take out a pen or your smartphone or any way that you're able to take notes. Um, I really believe that when we pay attention to what God is saying to us, then God will speak and sometimes God can speak and then we go for cups of tea and we forget that God has spoken. Um, this time isn't uh, a space for us for this time only. Actually, I believe that this part of our service resources us for the week ahead, whether that's through a phrase that I say, something you really disagree with, and and that's okay. Um, Or else, because God is speaking to you um, because I'm going on too long and you get distracted, and actually God's doing something in that space as well. So I really invite you and encourage you to take notice of those things that are creeping into your heads and to make notice and take notice of them and write them down um, so that God can continue to work in your hearts as we go through this week. This sermon thus comes with a slight health warning. Um, I'm going to tell a few stories that are more personal to me than I would normally do so. Um, So I pray that at that point you'll indulge me a little as well. A leading theologian, a guy called Karl Barth, probably never said, live with a newspaper in one hand and your Bible in the other. However, it's a suggestion that Karl Barth and many others would still agree with and subscribe to. The point is to live, engage with what's happening in the world around about us in one hand and be steeped and guided by scripture and doctrine in the other. Let one influence the understanding of the other and vice versa. Now, unfortunately, I'm a good millennial and rarely know what a newspaper is. So much of my understanding is taken from the world of social media. And I live with the constant pressure that kittens are going to take over the world. But my world is also shaped by those things that are shared by friends, by those news articles that are kind of hidden beneath the pages of the headlines of the front pages of our newspapers, that the stories of the people that are changing our world in really small ways and sharing a little bit of grace. And so this week, one such news article has really stayed with me. It's the story of two women, two women called Kathy and Miranda. And it's eight o'clock on a balmy Tuesday when the journalist, in this case from the New Statesman, begins to interview Kathy and Miranda. They're stood standing at railings, watering the flowers that have been strewn along the wall. And for the next few hours, Kathy and Miranda spend time tending to these strange donations that have been twisted and entwined on the fencing and laid by the brick wall. A local big issue seller, a guy called Alan, comes round and he hands a bunch of dandelions. I don't have anything else, he says, but me and Lexi, my dog, are going to give you these. The donations of flowers keep coming. 
Cathy and Miranda are unremarkable women. They're both volunteers trying to make some sense into this floristry fiesta. They're watering the flowers and making them look nice, trying to make the best of what is being donated. What makes this story really exciting is that that's the fence of a Methodist church. They're stood outside the walls of the building, trying to make their church look nice, profoundly accidentally at this time. They're doing what Methodist people do well. They're being present. They're looking after the flowers. They're making some sense in a situation which could be passed by by anybody else. If you haven't already guessed, this isn't a story of quaint British nostalgia. This is the story happening right now of Notting Hill Methodist Church in the ashen shadow of the Grenfell Tower. Kathy and Miranda are watering the flowers that are still being donated in memory of the people that burned and in memory of the continuing political situation. Watering the flowers is perhaps utterly unremarkable. But Kathy has said this. You see, people are not going into the church building. We need to be literally outside our walls. People don't want to walk into church, but they're not scared to talk to the woman who's watering the flowers. Kathy and Miranda are two people in the right place at the right time, noticing God's presence and offering something of hope and grace among the ashes of those broken relationships. And so perhaps Karl Barth was onto something after all, and reading a newspaper and reading scripture can indeed be transformative. And so we turn to our scripture account. From the book of Genesis, the account of someone who was in the right place at the right time, who noticed God's presence in the midst of the ashes of his own broken life. He didn't have a flower arranger present, but he does lay aside a wayside marker. There's an angelic visitation and there is an invitation to live into the greater reality of God's promise. At the start of this passage, we see a middle-aged Jacob. Many commentators think he's in his 40s. Occasionally, it's suggested he's in his 70s. But he's certainly an adult. He's left home in utter disgrace. This is his exile journey. He's cheated his older brother out of his legacy and been exiled from his family life. He's been discovered as a liar and deceitful, untrustworthy presence in his family and expelled into the wilderness. And here, his redemption is to be found following the final instructions from his dying father to travel several hundred miles to go find a wife. Jacob has been told to go into hiding, to have a quiet life doing his family duty and not to rock the boat. Here, from verse 11, this broken man, Jacob, is walking away from the ashes of his life into the unknown obscurity. He travels to find a wife and ends up finding God. As someone who came to Central Hall to serve God and ended up finding my husband, I understand. 
from the ashes of a broken relationship with the dying memories of home, God breaks his silence and speaks directly to Jacob. And this is the first time we see God speaking to Jacob. He does so in this brief account in the midst of a journey which would have taken Jacob months to achieve. This broken man becomes the recipient of grace and promise, not with diamonds in a wedding banquet, but in one brief encounter, being attentive to God's voice. Jacob in being in an unremarkable place, his own fence and wall, I guess, is revealed to be the right person in the right place at the right time, noticing God's presence and offering something of hope and grace amongst the ashes of his life. This is Jacob's first encounter with the living gods. And it comes with a staircase of angels. It comes with a dream and it comes with God's voice speaking. This first encounter with God kind of mirrors that blessing that he's had with Esau as God blesses Jacob with the blessing that was given to his father and to his grandfather. A promise of legacy. There is no censure for his past misdemeanors. He doesn't have to recite all the things which mean that he is a broken man. There is no censure, no confessional, no rebuke. Instead, Jacob is continued to be blessed. The man who had stolen the blessing from his family becomes the man blessed by God's. And if that's not ridiculously unjust, Jacob gets the added blessing of being told that he will return home one day. A different blessing as was made to Abraham and to Isaac. And the passage concludes and oil is sloshed over his stone pillow, which marks the place of first encounters with the living gods. And Jacob is transformed. The broken man becomes the vehicle of God's promise. He recognizes the importance of place. He receives the promise offered to him and from that unremarkable place of Bethel realizes that he too is a called man, the right person in the right place at the right time, offered hope and promise and God's presence in the midst of the ashes of his broken relationship. And so let me take this opportunity to celebrate all that you have been for us in these last seven years and offer some questions that I think these two stories, Kathy and Miranda and Jacob at Bethel, raise for us. How are we to be the right people at the right time in the right place? How do we notice God, whether we're in the best relationship with God, whether we're still waiting for our first encounter with God, or whether we're still trying to make sense of some of the ashes of the brokenness of our lives. My first encounter with Westish Central Hall, Westminster, came in the year 2000. I'd just turned 18. I'd survived the technological threat of the millennium bug, and a group of us came with a school trip to a politics conference. I remember sitting somewhere up there overlooking the stage 
And it was an incredible conference, which I doubt whether would be hosted now, because we heard about peacekeeping from the then Northern Ireland Secretary, Mo Molum. We heard a debate about the significance of Europe and the Euro with Ken Clark and Lord David Owen. Man, that was something to watch. And it was all hosted by the satirical journalist Ian Hislop, who was trying to keep it all together. So Central Hall, from its first encounter with me and my first encounter with it, has been a place to question people in power, to host complicated and difficult conversations, to shape classroom lessons for the legacy of the future. And so I love that this is a central hall which takes that seriously, who saw the potential of this place to shape the thinking of teenagers and to host the power brokers. This place has been a place for me to embody that non-quote from Karl Barth, a place to hold together social history and doctrine and scripture. What a legacy you have been for me and what a legacy we have for our future. There's an increasing interest currently in a term called place crafting, a way of collaborating with people in order to serve the wider community. Place crafting. Kathy and Miranda were place crafters. They learned the importance of their locality and hosted a space where people could talk. After all, no one's scared of a woman with a watering can. Jacob placecrafted. He knew the significance of Luz, renaming it Bethel, the house of God, in a backwater underbelly of a campsite. And Jesus knew all about spending time in the underbelly of society in order to change and create a movement. So I wonder how well we know this part of our city. I wonder whether we're willing to enter the underbelly of it a little more, to engage with the murky and seamy side of town, to serve the vulnerable and the broken, and to know our place and to tell its story, its pathologies, its history, and in turn bring healing and restoration. I love that we have a healing ministry here that we have the St. Vincent Family Project, that we save for the Westminster Food Bank, and that we work ecumenically for a homelessness shelter. I wonder what is next. If we place craft and press deeper into the seams and underbelly of this situation, do we dare take more risks, not to host more good projects, but to shape culture and to change the world? Are we solving problems or are we doing a more vulnerable work of being the right people at the right time, noticing the underbelly and pointing to resurrection? May we be place crafters and not problem solvers. May we be people, people, unafraid of the ashes of broken relationships and the underside of town. Secondly, I think there is something today which speaks of legacy. Just as Jacob receives the promise of God made to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, Jesus promises the power of the Holy Spirit to heal broken relationships and broken hearts and to forge a world-changing community. I wonder what our legacy is for future generations. 
And so I'm really grateful to you, Methodist Central Hall, for being a group of people who have hosted promises that Jason and I have made, both in our wedding and ultimately in the baptism of Sophia. You have stood alongside us and offered us prayers and promises about future generations. And so we take seriously the legacy that you have instilled in us too. What legacy might Sophia's generation receive from us? What about her grandchildren? You are a congregation of promise makers and promise keepers. And I treasure that about you and I invite you to take that seriously. Many of you will know that I float in and out of this situation and community, having quite a transient existence with you. And so I value your ability to be fully present, to continue worship in this place, whether I'm in this postcode, city, state, country or not. And in turn, you are incredible story keepers. You host the gospel story for those of us who call this place home, even when we are many miles away. And you are people who are shaped by the stories which are told and shared within the threshold of these walls. You are a people called Methodist who are called to be story keepers and world changers. You know some of the stories of the underbelly that this city perpetrates. The sociologist Brené Brown has said, perhaps, just perhaps, we are at the start of a wholehearted revolution. A quiet, grassroots movement which says, my story matters. And a movement which then gets out of the walls and takes to the streets with our messy, imperfect, wild, stretch-marked, wonderful, heartbreaking, grace-filled and joyful lives. A movement that is fueled by a freedom that stops pretending that everything is okay when it isn't. A call that rises up from the underbellies, the ashes, the brokenness of our lives, which enables us to stop living with a veneer and instead to share with courage. You have been a community that has been alongside my family and I during some of the greatest celebrations of our lives. And as we move on from here, my promise to you is to be more courageous with some of the more difficult stories that I hear, to share a little bit more of my struggles to drop a little bit of my veneer because I'm aware that I haven't shared with you the tougher parts. We haven't really spoken about the complexities of holding several roles in the connectional team and going through a a realignment of staff. We've rarely talked about the pressures of having a full-time job and working alongside a community where at one point everybody seemed to be in crisis. We haven't shared with you the difficulties we felt as new parents living north of the city. And if I couldn't do it, perhaps your veneer is pretty shiny too. In the scripture passage, God met with Jacob at his lowest ebb, exiled away from his family, far away from home. And it is that underbelly moment that he finds God for the first time. So perhaps that 
is our promise too. May we be people unafraid of the tough stuff, the difficult stories. May we be people willing to share them safely with each other. For in telling them there is freedom. And so may we continue to be promise makers and story keepers and grace givers. And may that be a brave and courageous legacy to leave for Sophia's grandchildren. But at the heart of Jacob's story is attentiveness to notice God's presence and to be able to talk about that when we see grace appear. And there aren't many more grace-filled people than those currently on the stage today. Gerard, a man who played John Williams at our wedding, and it's taken over three years for the proms to catch up to his genius. The choir who puts into words and music such creativity and craft, words that have been written thousands of years before, or whom Gerard has scribbled very recently. The chaplaincy work of Kina, finding ways to build relationships with those school groups coming on politics conferences. The international leadership of Martin and Tony as they work out strategy in this place which is desperate for their place crafting. Stewards, treasurers, preachers, people who offer their time to help you notice God's presence around you. Employees daring to take a risk of working in this utterly bizarre place. To be in God's presence and to sit at Christ's feet where the spirit of love surrounds us and in the ashes and brokenness of our lives makes each of us complete. Methodism for me is about being attentive to what the spirit is saying, even when it contradicts the status quo. Methodism is perhaps the best jester in the ecclesiastical court, the movement which is able to speak truth to power, who asks questions, who invites dissent, whilst being fully present to each other and knowing that life has been a little tough that we ultimately are known and loved by the God who is present to us, the Christ with us. So may we continue to be people who are present not only to each other, but who notice God's and invite others into their first encounter with God through dreams and visions and prayer, through accidents and through flower arranging. May we be people who are able to make sense of the broken ashes of relationships. And so I hope that in our next appointment, my family and I will step outside of our comfort zone and at least metaphorically water a few more flowers. May we all dare to be the right person in the right place at the right time, noticing God's presence and offering something of hope and grace in the ashes of broken relationships. And may you hear, whether this is your first time, your last time, whether that's the same time, or whether you are somewhere in between, may you find yourselves in unremarkable situations with seemingly unremarkable people and discover the transformative and changing power of God, calling you to be the right person at the right time, noticing God's presence through Christ. And may you water a few more flowers along your way too.
our final hymn this morning, picks up that non-sentiment of Karl Barth, challenging us to live with scripture in one hand, a newspaper in the other, and making sure that our eyes are fixed on the Christ who calls us to transformative living. Have you heard God's voice? Has your heart been stirred? Will you watch the news with the eyes of faith and believe it could be different? Because together we will walk the path that will cost us much and embrace the pain and sorrow, the underbellies of our lives, and trust in one who entrusts to us the disciples, the legacy of tomorrow.